This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Colorado, 6 o'clock kickoff at Husky Stadium. And that game is on what channel, Chris Fetters? Pac-12 Networks. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny because my mom always used to call me and ask me what time and what um, what channel. And now my sister does it now that my mom is gone. She does it just to aggravate me. But anyways, uh, 6 o'clock on the – is that Pac-12 Network or Pac-12 Network Washington? Pac-12 Network. It's, it's the main one. It's the big Pac-12 is what you're saying. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Sure. But but uh, still a little bit uh, hard to f- put the Oregon win in the rear view mirror. Is it Chris Houston, the wide receiver at Oregon? Hudson. Chris uh, Hudson came out and uh, actually, you know, admitted that uh, faking an injury was part of the game plan, which is pretty interesting because, you know, there seems to be a common thread when uh, Tosh Lupoi was at Washington against Oregon. There were some accusations that Washington was faking injuries. Tosh Lupoi was uh, suspended at Cal for a game back in the day yep. for faking injuries. And then it sounds like Oregon also faked an injury against Cal uh, near halftime when they were out of uh, timeout. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if anything happens with that. So I know that film has been sent to the league from both schools, but uh, what do they do on that, Scott? Uh, they do. They say, sorry, Washington. I mean, that's <laughs> really it. I mean, they don't do much. I mean, what if that had cost? What if what if they had gone on and tied up the game and Washington had lost in overtime? What would they say? Yeah. Oh, sorry. It doesn't matter. I mean, all that all that crap doesn't matter. And I found know- it. Yeah, I found it funny when the trainer came out and she was bent. She was like, "What do you want me to do?" So she starts bending his leg, starts shaking yeah. his leg. So yep. I thought that was pretty funny. You think they do anything about that, Chris? Maybe a harsh no. reprimand or something? No, because you know, as as John Wilner's pointed out, many others have pointed out that at the end of the day, what are they going to do? They're going to have to err on the side of the person they think is injured, regardless yeah. of whether they're faking it or not. That said, if they if they did enforce a runoff or something like that, it would be pretty amazing to see them try to get up and see if it's if they're legitimately hurt. And if they're legitimately hurt, 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you do? But, but Scott, well, they suspended right. Tosh for a game last in 2010. Well, then penalize the coaches. Yeah, penalize the coaches all you want. Fine them. Do whatever yep. you want to do. I, I just think that, you know, it, it's interesting because what Scott says is 100% right. I mean, if it impacts the game to the point where the team that it's happening to ends up losing and that ended, ended up giving them a competitive advantage – could you forfeit the game? I'm guessing that there's going to be a strongly worded uh, phone call. You pull this crap again, you're not going to like the consequences. I, I'm I mean, guessing at least a phone call. I remember I remember back during the, the initial Rose Bowl year in 77 with Don James, where Washington ended up, and I don't remember if it was Mississippi State or another team, one of their non-conference teams that they lost to, ended up forfeiting a number of their games because they used an ineligible player. And that ended up helping Washington down the road, not, not to, to necessarily get in the Rose bowl, but it actually counted as a, as a win in their record down the road. I don't know if that took a year or whatever, but that that's something that can happen. And there has been a history of it now with Washington. I don't, I don't know if there's another game since then, where literally a result has been vacated or changed. But like I said, there's a history of it. It has happened. So the USC, when, when USC had to forfeit all those games with uh, Reggie. Yeah. Yeah. Who was the example too? Yeah. Who was the uh, NFL team that uh, originated? It was a Cincinnati or new England. Do you remember back in the day? Well, if I remember, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to come in hot there. Um, if I remember correctly, it was Joe Nash versus Cincinnati. Cause remember there Cincinnati running that, that, uh, super fast offense with uh sam i can't remember the head coach's name sam whatever sam weish, yeah, sam sam weish. weish and boomer esiason and eddie brown and all those again chris collinsworth and all those guys and so they that's what really really did it was uh joe nash was the one who I went down that, like yeah. five or six times i think it was a playoff game i'm pretty sure it was a playoff game joe nash that's yeah. a that's a ghost from the past isn't it yep yep yeah, I got some stories because I've had uh, I've had drinks and dinner with him before. So it's he's he's a good guy. I like him. Yeah. But the, Just, but the, guys, the ultimate irony is that the NCAA, the entire NCAA, not just the Pac-12, not just a, a particular conference, but the NCAA had to create new rules to deal with the offense that Chip Kelly ran while at Oregon. And now Oregon is the one that's trying to pull it now. I think obviously the common denominator is, as you pointed out, Scott, is Tosh Lapoy. I mean, he's he's the one that clearly is the common thread in this. Yeah. But I just it's still kind of funny and kind of ironic that Oregon if, is now the one trying to pull the same crap that they always accused everyone else of, a year, you know, ten years ago. I don't know if either one of you know. I, I I don't know the rule. I don't know why I don't know. But you mentioned that they changed the rules with that. So like if. Uh, the offensive team is substituting that the defense gets time to, um, you know, bring their guys in. But the other thing I was noticing that Oregon was doing, and not to sound sour grapes, but when they were making their defensive substitutions, when Washington made theirs, they seemed to be coming in really slow and really late to not give Penix time to read the defense. So if they're coming in late and the play clock is still running down and Washington's ready to go and the opposition is still coming in, 
can the offense get a delay a game penalty if they let the play Absolutely clock run? can. They, yes. they can, but it but it's still a discretionary thing from the from the officials. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but a couple different times I saw them reset the play clock. Yeah. And it wasn't and it wasn't like a full reset to forty seconds. It was I think twenty, twenty five seconds. So I think there is a threshold. Like if you get under a certain number of seconds, that it automatically resets if your guys are lagging. Or if they're not getting in, in it seemed it seemed obvious Oregon was coming in slow on a few of those, and Penix had the guys up to the line of scrimmage ready to go, and Oregon guys were on a slow kind of jog to get out there. So I didn't know whether that's you can call a penalty on that or not, but, but I, yeah, yeah. I, I think to be honest with you, what I'm what I've seen over the year or over the at least like these games. Is that whenever someone? Because again, this is the same reason why, you know, Penix was playing the sh- the play clock so late, almost down to zero, is because he was trying to figure out the protections based on not just the the way that the the defense was lining up for Oregon, but also their personnel, how many people they had in the box, line of scrimmage, that kind of thing. That's why he was so late because he was trying to determine based on how they were. Uh, yep. substituting based on Washington substitutions. And so, w- again, this is all part of that chess game that's going on within the football game. And before the Oregon fans go crazy, a, a lot of teams in college football do the same thing. Um, I noticed that, you know, but, uh, you know, anything else to clean up from that Oregon win, Scott or Chris? Um, well, I, I, you know, and I'll probably say it at the end, all of the goodwill and national recognition and all of that stuff that happened after the Oregon game goes away if Washington decides to lay an egg this weekend. I don't think they will. But, it, you know, if they if they lay an egg against Colorado later tonight, man, that's that is not going to do go well for them. I said it after the Michigan State game when Washington came out and played Stanford the following week. And I said, you cannot go out and lose to Stanford now. You cannot play badly against them you have to come out take care of business and get this one in the win column and then move on because um you know there's there's a lot riding on this washington has a ton of momentum they had a ton of momentum at the beginning of the season when they uh went into that ucla game ended up losing they lost some momentum but now they've got a huge wave back in their in their corner and if they want to have any chance of getting to the rose bowl they've got to beat Colorado tonight. They've got to beat Washington State whenever that game is held uh, next weekend. And they need to, even if they don't go to the conference championship game, if they can put themselves in third place in in the conference, that you, you got to get it. So I guess wrapping it up, ton of ton of momentum coming out of Oregon, but it cannot stop tonight. And Chris, I I said this before. If I'd been drug tested on Sunday or anybody on the Washington football team, we all would have tested positive for weed. So it's good to be back in Husky Stadium with a little bit of not that you don't smell it at Husky Stadium because you definitely do. But boy, that was just overwhelming at times. I know Elise Woodward took off her headset. Yeah, sometimes if if Elise Woodward was mic'd up during a game, I don't know if there would be anybody that would be more fun than having Elise unplugged. So, uh, did, did you have some Cheetos down there, Kim? Some, some Cheetos. Cheetos, Doritos, you no, know, for the munchies. No, no, no. Just uh, I had some M and M's in my bag, but I didn't eat them. But uh, yeah. Elise always steals those from you, doesn't she? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was much. a weird it was a weird feeling, guys, this week where I was actually kind of openly looking at some of the 
some of the post kind of the the week of the Oregon media and especially Kim as you mentioned Chris Hudson and all the kind of I don't know if a scandal is the right word but all of the turmoil surrounding him well also in that same interview um, because what I listened to John Canzano on my way home after the the Washington basketball game Thursday night and he had Dan Lanning on and he basically asked Dan Lanning about Bo Nix because Chris Hudson basically spilled the beans that Bo Nix wasn't going to be playing. And of course, Dan Lanning didn't, didn't rise to the bait, but that Chris Hudson interview um, was about as revealing. (laughs) You think he's off limits for the rest of the year? I don't think not only is he off limits, he may get run out of town. Um, (laughs) He may not ever be seen again. The, The kind of stuff that he was talking about, I mean, to literally confess that he was faking an injury and to give Utah in a, in an extremely important game for both teams to basically give them the big, biggest piece of Intel you could give a team. Yeah. I, man, I, I, it's going to be a rough week you, for him. You think he was smart enough? Well, maybe I'll tell him he's not playing. So then they'll yeah. think it's Ty Thompson. Yeah. And people, yeah. people have talked people have talked about him playing 3d chess. He doesn't, after what he said about faking the injury, I don't think he was playing 3d chess in that interview. <laughs> I just have a I just have a sneaking suspicion that he was pretty much just saying what he what he thought and didn't really actually put any thought into it. Man, if I had a chance to ask him one question post game, it would be so. Coach Lanning, I haven't talked with you about when you mentioned the fake injuries being a part of the game plan. What was that conversation like? Well, but you you mentioned you know you mentioned the you know people getting high at at, at Watson Stadium, which is certainly no. Uh, you know, <laughs> something I've I've seen many times. Hell, I went to Grateful Dead shows back in 93 and 94. So I know all about people getting high at Hudson Stadium, not during a football game, though. But I'm kind of wondering if uh, if Chris Hudson had uh, if he was a little impaired when he uh, did that interview, because that's about <laughs> the only thing I can I can think of. Yeah. Moving on to the Colorado game, Chris, it's a mess there. I mean, it's an absolute mess. And we knew Carl Durrell when he was on the staff here at Washington. Uh, I I remember my uh, initial reaction when they hired Carl Durrell. Do you remember yours? Yeah, it was interesting because he because Rick Neuheisel hired him after um, after Gilby. Right. Or was before Gilby. I can't remember um before when when did gilby take over the oc was it after durrell or before durrell i I can't remember remember. but either way i i was a little surprised but at the same time there was an obvious connection with him and new heisel at ucla that if new heisel was going to pick someone from his coaching tree that was that was going to make as much sense as anything yeah i just thought that the minute they hired him you know that just with i mean he's a really nice guy but i never thought he had the temperament to be a head coach he proved that down at um down at ucla where it didn't work out and i know that you the timing of mel tucker leaving wasn't ideal because i thought they made a good hire in mel tucker but boy that's going to be a tough 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 gig to fill down there i don't know if you guys had a um, chance to listen to adam munstatiger that i uh, had yesterday on the podcast but he said that they lost 26 guys to the portal and he said it's virtually impossible to get transfers into colorado how are they going to fix that did he say why it's going to be virtually 
academics just the just the academic standards there just made it almost virtually impossible to bring guys in well when i i remember listening to it kim is that the standards were one thing but there also wasn't like a general studies or yeah. some of these kind of some of these catch-all majors that a lot of these guys use um to to kind of fill in the gap if they if they're either if they're unsure or if they want to go to a certain place and just need one you know, in the meantime, to, to all of a sudden go, OK, well, I was thinking about going into maybe communications or business or what have you. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like there's there's some interesting academic hurdles that a player has to overcome. And he also said, and this is something that Washington fans will remember with God, who was the player that ended up he was committed to Washington big time linebacker and he ended up going somewhere. I can't, he went to Alabama, maybe. Um and he was supposed to be taking summer classes, but they were like foreign language classes. Cajo. Cajo. Yeah, Ali Cajo. And and um and so the the same that same of that same kind of Cajo type thing apparently happens at Colorado quite a bit where guys need to shore up their academic resumes to have elective classes like foreign languages. Who wants to take a foreign language to get into a school when a lot of the schools out there don't require that. So those are some of the things that I that I heard from Adam. Well, it's like the old JC days here at Washington, you know, where the coaches were telling us, we're telling the kid he's got to take an algebra and Spanish class, and Wazoo's telling him to take another PE or football class. So yeah, it's exactly. just the same thing. The name that Adam said that was being mentioned sounds like the favorite, odds-on favorite for that job is Bronco Mendenhall. And, Scott, I think you maybe know a little bit more about Bronco than I no, do. No, no, I don't. I mean, other than he went to BYU and had some success there. And then but, yeah, it makes, it makes much sense. If, Virginia. He, if he wants yeah, if he wants to come back out west, I mean, because he's he he really kind of cut his teeth coaching out west. And and for him to go east was, you know, is one thing. And, um, you know, it's too bad we should have caught uh, Wayne Talapapa this week on the side and asked him about Bronco because he would obviously know him well. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. But some of the names that you have heard that have come out, you know, guys like Tom Herman who supposedly might be interviewing for the ASU job, for instance. I mean, Tom Herman at Colorado, that that could be intriguing. But I, but again, Kim, I, I, I kind of agree with you in the sense that I, I don't know if they got enough cachet or credit in the bank to pull in a coach like that. I just, I just get the sense more and more talking to the people at Colorado that follow that team every day, that that, um, that Tucker bailing for Michigan State really not only caught them off guard, but set them back oh, yeah. because he was a guy that was literally, he could have built that program and, and, was, not, and, and there were signs that he was starting to. And when you talk about where a lot of these colleges are located, Boulder's a pretty good gig, you know, to live in Boulder and raise your family. Like I said, you stop and think about where some of these other colleges are and yeah, Boulder's pretty, da- pretty damn nice compared to where some of these others are. Yeah, so. and they've got and they and as far as I know, their their um, facilities are right there. Anybody who's been to Folsom Field knows that that can be a hell of an environment. Um, I remember watching uh, one of the Pac-12 networks recaps with Ashley Adamson and and um, and Yogi Roth, who's going to be at the game today, uh, covering it for the Pac-12 networks. And Ashley Adamson was saying, because she was at the Washington-Oregon game this past weekend, and she said that was as big and an electric an environment as she can remember since she remembered a Colorado game. And it may have been Colorado-Nebraska years ago. 
and she said it hadn't she hadn't seen as an electric an environment um and, and she mentioned Folsom Field by name so I it has the potential to be one of the great places out here to to, to watch a football game so the they've got the facilities and they've got the they've got the the neighborhood um you know Kim and I I, I don't remember Scott if you've been out to Boulder but um I have not that's yeah, one of but the few it's I haven't it's, been to. it's fun. It's a great college town. I think it's known as a really, really good college town, one of the best in America. So yeah, there's there's a lot of things going for that job. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to follow and just you know uh, for the facilities, Chris. Um, it's a cool stadium, but make no mistake, it's it's run down. It needs it needs some love. It definitely needs some love. So uh, I don't know if they have the cash flow in order to make those improvements, especially with attendance down. But I think it's definitely going to be a job to keep an eye on because I think it's whoever they hire, they're going to have to give time because with that mass exodus they had, it's going to take at least three years to turn that program around it. They've so far started off one and nine. They had an overtime victory against Cal, but you take a look at their offensive production this year. They're only averaging 15 points a game. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good at all. Yeah, 15 I was going to say, Kim, in, in many ways, and I've talked about this all week, this honestly really feels like Colorado's in the exact same spot Washington was a year ago. They've, they've already let their head coach go. They've already let one of their coordinators go. In, in, in Washington's case, it was John Donovan. In Colorado's case, it's their defensive coordinator, Chris Wilson. But obviously their offense is sucking to, to, to a degree that maybe, maybe only Washington fans on the West Coast – could understand it in the last year because they saw it. <laughs> they saw it in spades. They saw a completely inept offense by the time um, those guys were getting fired. And uh, you're obviously seeing it this year with Colorado. We've been through one and nine, Scott. We've been there, done that. But with Colorado, We've been through tw- oh and twelve. <laughs> <laughs> but with Colorado, it seemed you know the, the, those teams were so bad they'd quit but the issue with Colorado is I don't think the guys have quit I think they're playing hard the problem is they have no experience and they have no depth and they are playing a ton of young guys and it's just not a good recipe at this this level and and they aren't big time young guys either they they weren't big time recruits when they came in and and they aren't anymore either so it's just you know, I, I've made the mention of it in my weekly Pac-12 article that you can say what you want about and make fun of Colorado all you want, and I totally get it. But they are not—they have not quit. These guys are playing hard. They're hustling. They're—they're they're working hard. They're trying to figure things out. And you know, I—I—I just—I—I I feel bad for them from the standpoint that I know that they're trying hard, and I know that that coach there was really hoping to be a guy that they would be able to consider. I just, you've got to get somebody in there with some name cachet. I mean, this needs to be their version of the Mike Leach hire that it was for Washington State. Because Washington State was always a stepping stone school. You know, coaches would go there, they would they would do well, and they would become national names moving to their next school. Well, Mike Leach was, because of his history and the stuff he was going through with the lawsuits with Texas Tech, he was a huge name coach. Everybody knew him nationally. Everybody knew what he was going to do. He went in there and he he landed a lot of cachet uh, to that program. Colorado 
is going to have to find that coach that's willing to be a name coach that comes there, or they're going to have to hire an up and coming, um, an up and coming assistant like a Mel Tucker and, and hope that they can keep him around. And right now I just don't, I don't know who that's going to be. It's, it's a tough gig. And it is. Yeah. Like I said, you know, it's attractive because of where it's located. It's attractive because of, uh, you know, the academics and the school. But, boy, that program, yeah, it's going to be tough. Like I said, you're going to need at least at least three years, you know, to turn that program around. It's not good. It's not good at all. Well, and what's interesting, Kim, is that I, in, in your conversation with Adam Munster Tiger this week, you know, he mentioned how it's been kind of pretty poor for years now except for that one year back in 2016 and Washington fans will remember this because Washington played Colorado in the Pac-12 title game and Mike McIntyre was the coach then and it looked like he was a program builder it clearly looked like they had them completely turned around and they it, it, it was really like from the outhouse to the penthouse but then the next year they went right back to the outhouse and so not only does Colorado have the ability to get to where they want to go, but the one thing they they haven't been able to show in a long time now is any sort of consistency or staying power or anything like that. They can, they, they've been able to catch lightning in a bottle, maybe for a few games here or there, or in the case of 2016, an entire season. But for some reason, they have not been able to carry that thing over from year to year even with pro with with coaches like McIntyre, like Mel Tucker, guys that seem to have that uh, resume and that reputation of being able to program build, so it's really it's really interesting to me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The strength of Colorado's offense is their running game. I'm guessing Washington's going to stack the box and dare them to pass the ball. I mean, that's it. That's what everything looks like right now. Well, here, yeah. Here's the really here's the really interesting thing about that. Sorry, Scott. Um, but I was going to say, you know, in talking again, listening to Adam and, and understanding their situation, their best quarterback right now, or at least perception wise, is a true freshman, uh, Josh McCown's son, Owen McCown. Think about what would have happened. Let's say all this stuff happens at Washington a year ago, and Washington right now is eight and two, and somehow Michael Penix missed some games, maybe just a couple games here and there because he was banged up, but he hasn't missed a ton of games. But Sam Heward, for instance, would have had to play four games, and now you're coming into the 11th game of the season, and Penix can't play, but you're trying to preserve Heward's red shirt. <laughs> what are you? You're literally going to throw in your third string guy because it's already been determined you're going to redshirt the guy who probably would have played in any other circumstance other than that one. And yet, this is exactly what Colorado is facing now. They're literally playing a quarterback that they don't want to play because it's already been determined their best guy is going to redshirt. How crazy is that? 
And that just gives you an idea of what's going on at Colorado, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, but, but it's like they can't they can't win for losing, guys. I mean, this is like if if any if any team would 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 earn a break, you know, being one and nine, having three different starting quarterbacks in one season, you would think they, you know, of all the teams that have you know earned a little bit of a a little bit a little bit of you know ease this stuff off just a little bit, it would be Colorado. But nope. The, the misery is getting heaped on to the point where now they're playing a guy that nobody respects, nobody thinks can do anything. And what does that do for a guy like J.T. Shroud, the, the yep. Tennessee transfer, who, who's going to be playing today? And the good news, Scott, is I expect both teams to run the ball. So with a 6 o'clock start, you know, and a, a, running the ball, you get that running clock. We may get out of there at a decent hour. Do you think Washington's going to run the ball? Yeah. <laughs> I think they'll yeah. try. Yeah. I, but, I, I mean, come on. Michael Penix is lighting it up, man. You got to get him in a, on a high swim push. <laughs> man, you got I'm not saying you just go out and you throw away your entire playbook because so he can get 450 yards, but he's getting 450 yards in the normal course of games. And yeah. I just I mean, Kim, you're right. If you look at what Colorado does defensively, neither neither they don't stop anybody on either in either phase of the game their their run defense they're allowing almost 228 yards per game they're third 130th in the country they're second to last and they're giving up 260 little over 260 yards per game through the air so it, it's it's for for colorado it's pick your poison right now and i think washington will try and run the ball and i wouldn't be surprised if you see wayne talapapa or Cameron Davis end up with 100 yards at, at some point, but I think Michael Penix is going to be throwing the ball all over the yard. I think they're going to do do what they can to get their guys open and make some big plays down the field. And I think Washington would really, I mean, I think if the coaches had their druthers, they're obviously not going in thinking of it this way, but if they had their druthers, I think they'd like to be up like 28, 30 points, something like that in the, by the end of the third quarter so that they can play some of these younger guys that they, that they still need to get reps for. Hey, Scott, I've been asking you the past couple of games, but I absolutely loved that uh, at the Oregon game, winning the toss and taking the ball. I think it's a win-win. If they lose the toss, Oregon's going to defer and Washington gets the ball. If they win the toss, they take the ball. But with the offense that Washington is running and it's dynamic as it is, and there's only been one game that they haven't scored on their first possession, I really liked them. Now, not every year, but with this offense, I really like them taking the ball and putting the pressure on the other team by going ahead early. Yeah, I, I understand the way of thinking. I prefer I'm I'm that person who prefers the defer and, and let your defense get on the field, but I, I just think I think Washington <laughs> will end up taking the ball uh the rest of the way. Um because they're not playing I mean, Colorado's offense is not very good. Um, and that's being nice. And Washington State's is average to below average. And I think Washington does, needs to, if they can get out to a fast start, that puts the pressure on the opposing offense right away. That's and why I if, like it. Yeah. yeah. And and maybe maybe any other year you don't do that, but um, this year I think I think it's I think it's the right call. I I wouldn't have agreed with you before, but I saw what it did to Oregon. And it made them make some plays because they knew that Washington was going to be able to score on them. And they knew that they had to go for it on that fourth and one in their own territory. They knew they had to they 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 knew that they I mean, that's why they were probably going for it. If Bo Nix was still healthy on that third and what third and four, whatever it was, or I'm sorry, fourth and four, whatever it was 
that they, you know, the, the possession before when Nick's got hurt. So, um, yeah, I think Washington's offense is putting pressure on these guy on these opposing offenses. And, and, uh, that's nothing but good for Washington. And Chris, I'm not talking in general, you know, taking the ball. I'm talking about this team and this offense. Did you like them taking the ball first? You like them having that first possession? Well, I, th- I think it, it depends. And I, and I think you see that with the way the coaches have schemed this because, what have they done every week until Oregon? They've deferred if they've won the toss. Yeah. So it's it's not like they haven't gone out and scored on their first drives anyway. They've done it in, in both situations. So to me, Colorado, I think you defer every time. I don't I agree with Scott that it doesn't really matter, but I think you'd rather have control coming out of halftime if you if you do run yourself in the situation where you feel like you've got to make some serious adjustments and, 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 and get to the locker room to, to kind of, but then, when, but then winning that toss against Oregon and taking the ball, do you think that changed the, yes. the game plan for Oregon? Cause I think it did. Well, I don't know if it changed the game plan for Oregon, but it certainly set an early marker. And I, and, and I think we talked about it last week in the pregame that if you win the if you won the toss, you should be taking the ball because in that environment, what's the number one thing you need to do if you're the opposition? You need to shut up the shut up the crowd. You need to give them a reason to sit on their hands. And Washington did that by taking the ball and scoring. But that whole thing gets completely undone if you don't get any points. So that's the risk you run. But this offense is efficient enough that they were able to get that done. And so it looks really, really smart in hindsight. And honestly, it was the right thing to do. That's why I think you defer today against Colorado if you win. But if you win it in the Apple Cup, you take it. Well, the other thing that's that's the difference between going home and away. It's the difference between getting up early when you're in the difficult environment to give yourself an opportunity to lay down that marker and show the opponent that you're you're ready. You mean business. Let's go. Yeah, and against Oregon, I, the other reason I like them taking the ball is Oregon's defense has struggled, and that put them behind the eight ball right away, being able to score against Colorado. I don't think it's going to matter, but Washington State's defense is probably better than some of the ones that they've um, played against this year. But, you know, jumping ahead to Washington State, I've said this for a while now. This game, these games that you are being played this year aren't about stopping the opponent, it's about scoring them. And I think Washington will be able to outscore Colorado. I think they'll be able to outscore Washington State, where Washington State's defense might be a little bit better, but I think Washington offense. But you take a look at what's going on, and we talked about this on the earlier podcast. Um, you know, we hate to be so dismissive, like this is going to be a walkover, but I just don't see any way that Washington is not up big and we'll finally get a chance again to see the backup quarterbacks, Dylan Morris and Sam Heward. Yeah, I, I sure hope that's what ends up happening. And and I mean, everything points to it being that way, but everything pointed, at least to me, to to be in an Oregon win last week. So, you know, I you know, I this year has been so screwy at times. And uh, I just think the Huskies are pretty dialed in right now. And I think Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb are feeling good about the offense. I think the defense continues to make some strides. They I mean, they they struggle with tackling last week, but they're not going to be tackling a guy that's like what Noah Whittington or what is it Bucky Irving or whatever his name is. And 
those guys are just ridiculous runners and Colorado doesn't have that. So I, I think Washington makes some progress. I think having the fans behind them definitely helps as well. And they're playing on turf and Washington does really well on turf, regardless of where they end up playing. So, um, I mean, think about it, guys. The only two games they've lost this year are games they played on grass. So, hey. you know, I, I think Washington's going to come out and fly around and make some plays. Hey, Chris, how much of a difference on defense has Eddie Ulafosio made? Well, he, he you could say argue that he was the difference against Oregon because if if uh, Noah Whittington doesn't lose his footing, because the the reason, and if you really break that that last play, that last fourth down play down, he's trying to change direction because he can see Eddie shooting that B gap and he's got yeah. it. He's got him dead to rights. So even if even if he doesn't and he just decides, okay, I'm just gotta go through this linebacker to get this yard. I just don't think that's going to happen. If you're going to put any linebacker in that B gap to, you know, basically fit the run and to stop a guy and make him go backwards of all the linebackers you could pick at Washington, I would think Washington fans would pick uh, Eddie Ulafosio first, second, and third. <laughs> what did he only have? What did he only have? 15 snaps? No, I think he had more like 25 to 27. Yeah, he played a lot more than we thought he was going to. Yeah, yeah. he had probably okay. about three three to four times as many as he did against Oregon State. Um, one thing I would say real quick, Scott, in terms of Colorado not having a running back quite in the same mold as an Irving or a Whittington, I, I agree in general. But we have to remember, Alex Fondo is coming off his career. Not, I don't know if it's a career best or season best, but he ran it's for over it's season best. Yes, but he ran for over 100 yards against USC. He's feeling confident. He thinks he can run the ball. I don't. I don't know why Washington would ever want to give that guy a chance to be a difference maker. He's because, a good back. He's good. But, but one thing, yeah. But, so he he's definitely the one guy that you need to focus on to see what he can do. But what I would say is. It, it, one of the things that the national media has brought up in some of the podcasts and things that I've seen is that one of the reasons why Washington's getting undervalued potentially at 17 in the playoff poll is because you look at Michigan State, you look at Stanford. Those are the two prime examples that I can remember of or Arizona as well, I think, to a certain extent, where Washington got out to a lead and then the teams came back to make it somewhat respectable. So if we're talking about Washington getting a big lead going into the fourth quarter and bringing in the backups, I'd be wary about that. I wonder if the coaches are also wary about that as well. They really have to balance this fine thing because, first of all, they're pretty banged up. That Oregon game was a really physical game, probably the most physical game of the year. And so they're 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 going to be managing bodies and things like that. You talked to Alex Cook this week. You talked to Henry Bainavalu this week. You talked to some of these other seniors. They're banged up, but they're like, this is senior night. We got to push through. We got to lead by example. I don't. They're going to leave this all on the field. This is a legacy game for those seniors. But at the same time, they've got to manage this thing because they still have one more game to play against Washington State, and obviously, which is a monster game as well. So there's that fine balance. They want to play a lot of these young guys if they can. But Washington's also had a history of this year of not giving up leads, but making these games a lot closer than they need to be. And so we'll see how they manage all that stuff. Be a fun game for sure. Six o'clock start. And we still do not have a time for the Apple Cup. So when are we going to find out on Saturday? I mean, on um, Sunday or Monday, Chris, probably Monday. Yeah, tomorrow or Monday. Yeah, I think Sunday. I think we find out tomorrow. Yeah. So thanks. 
Pac-12. But... Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate well, that's it. Not, that's not, hey, remember, uh, that's it's not, not Pac-12. Conference. That's the networks. That's yeah. the network. That's ESPN. That's Fox. That's the right. price. They play, They paid a premium so that they could do that to the fans. So Quick. <laughs> Well, Quick. I know. I don't know if it's do it to the fans, but I get what you're saying. That's, that's how I'm characterizing it, because yeah. I think there's a lot of fans out there that feel done. Quick word from our sponsors, and when we return, we'll touch bases on recruiting both football and a big signing for UW basketball. And just uh, Husky legend on Saturday, somebody I'm really looking forward to seeing that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. I'm Kim Reynolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Six o'clock kickoff tonight at Husky Stadium against Colorado TV is uh, Pac-12 Network, the big Pac-12 Network. How's that sound? We talked about Big Fox. We got the big Pac-12 Network, but again, 6 o'clock kickoff. And Scott, let's touch bases on football recruiting. Maybe a little bit going on, not a ton. Yeah, there's going to be a couple of official visitors here this weekend. One is going to be Devin Bryant, the linebacker recruit out of St. John Bosco, is committed to Washington. He never took his official, and, and I mentioned it earlier in the week, that when he told me that he was coming up for his official, I was like, wait a second, is that your second one? And then I looked, oh, he hadn't taken one. So that one surprised me a little bit. But anyway, he's coming up. Uh, there's a chance Keith Reynolds could be coming up for his official visit. We'll have to wait and see. And then um, Channing Canada, cornerback out of uh, Trinity Valley. He's a JUCO kid. Uh, he is coming up for his official visit. He does have three other official visits scheduled. And uh, so I do not expect a decision, but I think Washington getting in first and showing them that atmosphere, that game day atmosphere and all that that uh, they have to offer. I think and, and Washington's having a better season than all the other teams that he's looking at. So um, I think Washington's got a decent chance of reeling him in, but uh, they're taking their shot this weekend. So hey, Scott, the, real quick, yeah. real quick on Canada. When you had a chance to talk to him, is he a Zeke Turner kind of guy that was just kind of a late bloomer or was it academic? No, it was grades. It was okay. grades. Yeah, he just well, I shouldn't say that. He he did have the grades to get in, but he was a late qualifier. And Houston Baptist was the only school that uh, offered him. So he went there for a year. I think that was the COVID year. No, no, that was 2021. So uh, he went to Houston Baptist, and then this year he transferred into uh, – and he redshirted there, and then he transferred into uh, TBC. And uh, he will graduate in December, so he'll be on campus wherever he ends up signing – He'll be on campus in January, and that'll be huge for Washington. If they can reel him in, they'll get him in for the entire uh, off-season program and everything like that, and he'll be able to come in and work with the team and all that. And J- Jordan Perryman did the same thing, but I think this kid, this kid is a much more dynamic uh, corner prospect. He's not as big as Perryman but or as long, but he's, he's much more sticky, and he's also a guy who um, has played a lot of man-to-man and everywhere he's been, and – He's a punt returner, so um, that's something to keep an eye on, too. Hey, Scott, real quick, is is uh, Trinity Valley, is that in Texas? Yes, it's uh, – I don't know exactly where. I should I should have looked that up, but um, Trinity Valley well, is in Texas, yes. Yeah, I was just – no, the only reason I was asking was because, like, first of all, I didn't know, but 
but I was curious, is this one of the few times where we've seen Washington actively go into a Texas JUCO? Because I know they, they've done the Kansas thing a bunch, like yeah. Quentin Moore. Quentin Moore is at Independence, and they've done they've done that over the years. But I that was a local remember, kid though. That was a local kid though. Yeah. So no, but what I'm saying is I don't yeah. I don't remember Washington under any staff. They I think they brought team. I think they brought in a kid from Blinn. That's that's also well, that in was Texas. Rod Green. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, but that was um that was a long time ago. That was ago, 20 though. years ago. That yeah. was New Heisel. Washington usually Washington usually brings in if they did bring in guys they brought them from Arizona which doesn't have JUCO football anymore. Right. And, and uh, California and maybe Utah because they have snow, which is a place that Washington has has looked at some guys and gotten a guy a guy or two out of. But for the most part, it was Arizona and uh, California, and and it's still kind of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else going uh, on in football recruiting, Scott? Uh, uh, yeah, the coaches are. I mean, there's going to be a 2024 kid on campus that Washington has offered. Um, and there, there's going to be a few other guys. I wouldn't be surprised to see EJ Kamenong on, on campus. Uh, I don't think Landon Hatchett will be there because I think he's got a game this uh, on, uh, today. I'm pretty sure he plays tonight. So, um, you know, just, yeah, it's it's that time of year when, when this is the last uh, home game. And, and so I think they're trying to get as many kids in as possible. But And you're going to see, I think you'll see a handful of local kids that'll be on on hand for the for the last home game but uh you know the coaches kind of blew it out in the summer and so that's why you haven't seen a lot of official visitors on campus um there's been a couple official visitors or unofficial visits during the week uh this week um greg biggins reported on one of them uh op you uh from uh riverside um yeah, Riverside down there. Jordan Whitney's teammate. Uh, he's he's a, a kid who um, that Washington's looking for for 2024. He was up in the middle or at early in the week and and things like that. So um, they're just trying to get some of these 2024s on campus, let them see things so that they get the game day experience and all that, but also uh, meet with them. But they're also trying to wrap up these 2023 guys that they that they still like. And and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you see one more. Um, I'm, I've been getting texts all throughout this podcast that another Juco kid could be on campus uh, this weekend. So we'll have to wait and see. Okay. Uh, basketball recruiting, huge, huge, huge signing for Mike Hopkins and the basketball team. Wesley Yates, the number two. He's the number two shooting guard in the country. Number 35 player overall, Wesley Yates out of Beaumont, Texas. He's a uh, relate. I think he's a cousin uh, of uh, Quincy Pondexter, and Quincy's been killing it on the recruiting trail, bringing in Braxton Mia and Wesley Yates. But Wesley Yates is definitely a guy who can come in, and I would expect him to be a starter on next year's team, uh, probably replacing Jamal Bay uh, at that position. But he's six four, two hundred pounds, and not only is a great basketball player, but a 3.9 GPA to go along with that as well. And when, you know, guys, we know this, if you can get a guy that's a really good player and getting it done in the classroom, that makes life a lot easier. So um, he's a good kid. And that's a huge pickup for Mike Hopkins. Again, his name is Wesley Yates and uh, he's a high four star 35 rated number 35 overall in the class of 2023 and uh, number two shooting guard overall uh in the country but hey chris i want to get back to a story i just remember a long time ago because it just seems like we've been doing this forever uh you were up at lakes high school 
and uh, you met with Dave Miller, and Dave was churning out quite a few guys, and you told me about, um, you know, Dave talking to you and smiling and, and going and, and pointing to a guy, and he goes, that's Bambi. That's my freshman with a big smile on his face. You remember that? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, seeing a guy like that, Revelation, I mean, he was probably at that point maybe 6'2", 6'3", probably 180 190 and i think eventually what would he be end up being like 6364 215 yeah, a guy that, that uh that you know dave miller was convinced at the time that he may not even he may not even be uh as good a receiver as he is a safety he might he might be a real he could be maybe an nfl star on defense he was that good and i remember the stories when they would go to playoff games and and he was you know, one of his legs was really banged up and he was almost literally playing on one leg and was still being the difference maker that, that everyone knows that he is now. But yeah, the, the, the hype on him was severe. I remember, you know, this is so long ago that I was still living in Walla Walla at the time. I wasn't even living in Seattle and got together with some friends and we were watching the, what was it? The old, um, what was it? Fox, Fox Northwest. Yeah. And, uh, that was the that way he went into the studio and he was picking between Washington and uh, Michigan and UC. He had taken a trip to UCLA and um, you haven't said his name yet. You haven't said his name yet. Whose name? <laughs> Who you're talking about? You talked about Reggie Williams. Yeah, well, I said Bambi. <laughs> oh. But Reggie Williams, he, he, and he'll be the Husky legend uh, today, by the way. But go ahead. Well, I, I assume that's why you brought him up, right? Yeah. Yeah. OK. And um, and so then we just watched it. And the, the rumor at the time, everybody was wondering what what he was going to do. Anybody had any scoop on who he was going to pick? And I remember his, his mom, I think she was working maybe at Boeing at the time or she was working somewhere and people had seen her uh, in a Michigan sweatshirt. And so, of course, everyone at Washington was freaking out yeah. that, that he was going to pick Michigan. And then he goes on. But at that time, no one really had the idea that if you go on local networks that you're you're not you're going to pick the you know some other school than the local school. I mean, you'd be insane. So um, you know, he goes on obviously picks Washington and the rest is history. I mean, you, you look at that first game he ever played at Husky Stadium, which happened to be that uh, that that come from behind win against Michigan. I remember that place was absolutely packed. Um, I wasn't in the booth that day. I was actually uh, in the in the West End Zone, probably for that might be the only time I've ever seen a game in the West End Zone. And I think a friend and I literally got the last, I think, two tickets that were paired together that they were saying in terms of the ticket office. And we watched that uh, that punt block with uh, Rock Alexander taking it the house the other way. And then uh, Omari Lowe with the pick six a couple plays later against John Navarre. But Reggie Williams going down the sideline, the Michigan sideline, losing his shoe. And all. And I, what did he still have, like 150, 100 and some yards? In his very, very first game. Yeah. I mean, he had already almost reached legendary status before he'd even taken a snap at UW, and that just confirmed it. And then, obviously, the, the legendary uh, battles he had with, like, Marcus Trufant, and, and some of those games were amazing. And then obviously the game out of Oregon where he scored a couple touchdowns in the second half and, um, you know, Washington ended up just routing Oregon. I think it was 
was it 42 14 something like that there were yeah, a, lot that was, of great, a lot of great memories with reggie williams playing for yeah, the Huskies. i'll just never forget reggie in that oregon game i'm on the sidelines and cody pickett was just throwing quick outs to reggie and they had these small cornerbacks at oregon and they come up and hit him they just bounce off of him yeah. i mean they were just bouncing off of him reggie was just running over and a couple times he just ran at the full length into the end zone but they ran that play all day. Reggie was at the basketball game Thursday. I also texted Cody Pickett. Cody Pickett will be up here with Reggie on the sidelines today. And, boy, you get those two together. <laughs> but could we get those two mic'd up? That would be fun. That well, here, here, here's your here's your here's your uh, here's your job for today, Kim. You got to make sure, obviously, you get a picture of, the, of those two because you can do it. Hopefully we can get a before and after you can. Go back to your archives and see if you have a picture of those two uh, back in, what, 2001, 2002, and then see what they look like today. Reggie's one of my all-time favorites. He's just, uh, when I saw him last night, I go, your eyebrows grew back. But that's a whole other story. Uh, he's in town with his wife and his kids, and uh, it sounds like he's got a young son who's not real big yet, but he probably looks like he's about 11 years old, and Reggie goes, He's next. So Reggie's living down in Houston. He's doing some uh, work with some football. So uh, I don't think we've heard the last of Reggie Williams yet. So we'll keep an eye on that. So look, really looking forward to seeing Reggie this afternoon and really, really looking forward to seeing Cody Pickett as well. So uh, wrap it up, Chris Fetters. Yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting game today. I know that people are already, like Scott has alluded to, kind of, uh, treated this game like an afterthought. I, I think that's a mistake. I don't think the, obviously the coaches are talking about this being a trap game or, or Colorado's offense being a little dangerous because not only are they a, a team that's wounded and a team with nothing to lose, but according to some of the, the Washington defensive coaches, you know, this is a team that will really try to scheme you, really try to get you into some, some different things that maybe you haven't seen, some different pictures. And so it'll be interesting from that standpoint. And then I'm also looking to at the end of the game. Let's say they do get up 30, 35 points, whatever it is. Can they really put the boot down and put this thing to bed in a way that they haven't necessarily done this year? Um, you know, they've won some games and they've won some games by a couple touchdowns. But these were games like you look at that Michigan State game at one point. What was it like 39-10 or something? It was it, these are games that that they need to finish out the right way. And I think there should be an element of really trying to finish this game tonight the way they need to, especially for the seniors. So I'm going to be looking for how they come out of the game and also how they finish the game. I think those things are going to be really important, especially when you go into a short week. Even though it's the game Saturday, it's going to be a shortish week against Wazoo because of Thanksgiving and the holiday and everything else. And a pissed off Scott Eklund finish it up because uh, you just are disappointed that it's not a real late night game. You prefer those 730 oh, starts. Yes, I am so sad that it's six o'clock. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, um, you know, I kind of said it all before. Chris reiterated it. I, I just think you got a huge win over Oregon. You're back in the national spotlight again. Don't lose that hold. Don't lose that foothold, man. You got to come out get take care of business if washington does what they should do this this really is a game and and you know it's coach speak but it's really true it's not about colorado in this game this is about washington and washington needs to be focused if they're focused and they they come out they don't make mistakes don't turn the ball over you just do what they do they should win this game relatively easily i don't know if they're going to win by 31 which is what uh vegas has them at 
But um, I, I think Washington wins this game rather comfortably, and we see the backups for, uh, I'd say, at least a couple possessions. Yeah, a little bit concerned that we're talking about such a blowout win in Colorado not having a chance. And then I just remember a couple of weeks ago looking at the scoreboard and seeing Colorado um, or Colorado USC at the end of the first quarter. It was three to two. Yeah, so, yeah, I know. So, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. But again, just really looking forward to seeing Reggie Williams, looking forward to seeing this offense and looking forward to getting a time on the Apple Cup as well. So anyways, one more time, six o'clock kickoff on big Pac-12 network. So that's channel 628 for those who have Comcast and Xfinity. So uh, we'll have complete and total post-game coverage and you can only get the best stuff at dogman.com. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Reynolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. 